Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is Constantina Rhodes. Constantina is an acclaimed scholar of Sanskrit and the spiritual traditions of India, as well as a certified intuitive consultant and certified instructor of intuitive development. Constantina holds a doctorate in South Asian languages and religions from Columbia University. She was a full professor with tenure at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, Florida, before moving back to New York City, where she teaches in the program in religion at Hunter College of the City University of New York. She has served on the steering committee of the Society for Tantric Studies, was an inaugural member of the Tantric Studies Group of the American Academy of Religion, and has held prestigious elected office as president of the American Academy of Religion. Constantina has practiced yoga and meditation for most of her life. She spent two years living and studying in India, and over the course of several decades, she has received mantra initiation in the, line in the lineages of transcendental meditation, integral yoga, and siddha yoga. She is a level two Usui Reiki practitioner and draws upon healing energy within her sessions. As a certified intuitive consultant, Constantina engages in an ancient art that both enhances and, it, and is enhanced by her longtime meditation practice. So hello, Constantina. Thanks so much for joining me. Hello, Jacob. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. We're only about a couple miles from each other, but here we are on Skype. <laughs> and uh, and just uh, for those who are listening, you may hear a lot of ambulances today as Constantine and I both live next to hospitals. So you're getting the, uh, uh, the deep dive into the sounds of New York City today. Um, so, Constantina, we're going to talk a lot about Lakshmi today and also your work with intuitive development. But before we get into all of that, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your own personal story and what led you to Lakshmi. Well, yes. Um, I, I've, ever since I was a little girl and I heard George Harrison and the Beatles, you know, with India, I was mesmerized by meditation and I wanted to go to India. And I went to India eventually as a graduate student and studied Sanskrit and um, did yoga and meditation. And I was working on Shiva. I was all about leaving the world and turning inward and you know the ashes and that, that intensity of, of the Shiva tradition. And, and the Kashmir Shaivism actually. And um, I did my dissertation on that. It was all, I was really in that kind of rarefied element. And after my book came out, I was invited by Guru Mai um, Chidvilasananda to be one of her scholars. I was in the first group of scholars that she invited and uh, went up to the ashram in South Fallsburg. And um, it was a beautiful experience there. And I saw a lot of images of Lakshmi there. And it's very lush and beautiful up there. And mm. I had a darshan. Um, with Gurmai and I asked her, I said, you know, what's the deal with Lakshmi? I thought this was like a Shaiva meditation center and it was all about leaving the world behind. And she just gave me one of her typical enigmatic smiles and she said, well, you know, that's a really good question. She belongs here, but why don't you find out and tell us? And it turned into a, it turned into her Sankalpa actually. She kind of, you know, had the directive behind it. Um, and so over the course of years, I did a lot of research on Lakshmi. I was teaching in the Lakshmi workshops there. And what's interesting is I realized that when I had been in India decades before that, I was actually collecting a lot of Sanskrit texts to all of the goddesses. And I actually had a few books with just Lakshmi mantras in them that had never been translated. And they were sitting in my parents' house in New Jersey, you know, kind of collecting dust. So I thought, let me start working on these. And I 
I just started translating them and translating them was, I mean, there's power in those mantras and it became my own kind of um, sadhana to work on those for many years. It was, you know, over a decade I was working on that book. But what's interesting about what you said for me was, um, you know, I've I've understood the the Shaiva lineage. Um, I can see where you're talking about the kind of up and out. But generally, I've always thought of Shaivism as being kind of an into the body and and an imminent, a more of an imminent rather than a transcendent um, prescription of practice. So when you're talking about the Shiva lineages as being more inward and less about the wor world. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean by that? Yeah, well, it's true. You're right. It's, it's, about, it's about focusing on the body, but it's also about turning inward. For me, anyway, the, the esoteric Shaiva lineages were about turning, tuning into the internal energies and kind of closing one's eyes a little bit to the world and, and stepping away from a lot of the drama of the world, which is actually what all of us would like to do with all of our practices. But there was a little bit of, um, it, you know, pulling away from interest in the color of life or in the financial aspects of life or the sort of, um, you know, the tantric part of life. It was more like, let's get out of samsara. We're tired of it. Uh, and so it was, you know, very deeply meditative. And then you come out of the meditation and you're like, where, where am I? What, what is this? And there was a disconnect. Whereas with Lakshmi, it's all integrated. Yeah. Yeah. As it is with many of the goddesses, yeah. the goddesses are like that anyway. Right. They pull us into the world. So then who is Lakshmi? Let's just talk about for those who have not, maybe they've heard of Lakshmi, but they're not really sure what she's about. Could you just give us a kind of crash 101 course in who Lakshmi is? <laughs> yeah, okay. Can, well, there's a picture of her here. Yeah, we'll that there later. she is. She is one of the goddesses, of, and actually I would say the most beloved goddess in India. Mm. Um, she is the embodiment of auspiciousness, prosperity, beauty, um, happiness, all, all the things that we would love to have in life when we're here. And, you know, not worrying about tuning out of life. It's it's making life sweet because she's, you know, together with Vishnu, when she's in um, in concert with Vishnu, they're the preservers and maintainers of the creation. So while we're here, we live life to the fullest. And it's about savoring life and jumping into all the things that life brings us that can be sweet. Um, and sometimes people are afraid to do that because they don't know how to monitor it. So, so the deeper theology, if we want to call it that, of Lakshmi is, you know, how to, how to jump in and get it right so that you're not, you're not pulling away, but you're not being excessive either. And I think Lakshmi's gotten a bad rap in the West anyway, um, because they think it's all about greed and hoarding yeah, yeah. Which is, I see that. I mean, you know, people have liberty to do what they want, but I don't feel that Lakshmi herself is about that. I, I found too many things in her hymns and invocations that sort of caution against that. That's really not what she's about. She's about flow and generosity and expansion and, you know, sending out, bringing back, connecting, connecting. Yeah. yeah. So 
Yeah, and I and in your book, I, I feel that very much. There's a such a nuanced understanding um, of Lakshmi and and your exploration of her really does um, intersect with a lot of different um, other deities. You know, there you were talking you talk about Kali in the book, and so there's a fierce sort of expression of Lakshmi. And and I had no, I hadn't really thought about Lakshmi in relation to the tantric tradition so much. I I mean I've you know I've seen. Um, some Lakshmi chants in the Nectar of Chanting book and, and all of that. So I know there's there's some kind of relationship to some of the Shaiva lineages, but it was very interesting to to read your book and to learn more about it. So but before we talk a little bit more, I guess, about um, those that that connection to the Tantric tradition, what are the four abode I guess I can't remember what you call them in the book. I guess abodes of Lakshmi. Would that be an appropriate way? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? <laughs> the, well, the, her wealth. Or her, yes. Her, you know, where do you find her? Where does she Yes, exactly. Where does she show up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that because it's so, it's so basic about, you know, where she is. So a lot of the hymns talk about her as, oh, beautiful goddess. You express yourself as Dharma Arta Kama Moksha. Yeah. Dharma is your life path and how you connect with other people and in, in, um, in your etiquette with other people and, and how you, you behave in community. But it's also like how you connect with your body as being a human being. Are you are you comfortable being on on the planet? You know, some people that's a teaching how to be comfortable here. Yeah. Uh, so I'll say that quickly and we can look at them more together. So Dharma and then Arta, of course, is probably her most famous expression is material wealth. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Arta means material wealth. It's also, she's, when they invoke her, they call her Dhanada, which means bestower of wealth. Dhana is also wealth. But Dhanada and Arta, it's a little bit different ways of expressing wealth. Um, but in general, it means things that help support your dharma in this world. So, you know, a home, good food, your family, loved ones. Um, this is your wealth, as well as your money and paying attention to your money and um, being a steward of, of your finances and not putting your head in the sand about it, which is, <laughs> you know, what Shaivites do. I don't know, not all Shaivites, but... We do that, right? When we're yeah. on a spiritual path, um, and I, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. In fact, um, you know, it's some of my next work is going to touch on that, and I'll tell you about that later. Um, but anyway, that's the art. Now, comma is the third one, mm -hmm. and comma, K-A-M-A, -A, comma, um, is pleasure, is enjoyment. It's it's you know can be lust. It's um, sexual. It's sensual. And it's savoring. It's it's slowing down to really enjoy every moment. And I think, you know, from the outside, it looks like New York is all about comma. When we're in New York, we're like, where's the comma? Where is yeah. our breath <laughs> to slow down? And and Lakshmi is really about the beauty, taking you know, being slow and savoring the beauty and looking at colors and paying attention to how you present yourself in the world um, and and having fun and enjoying life. And, uh, you know, and, and some of the 
tantric practices too, of course, are sexual, and that that's sort of a, a separate topic, but it's related in that the the spiritual and the material are constantly weaving in and around each other, and they're both methods of exploring spirituality. Mm. And that's what keeps them sacred. That's what keeps the body, um, you know, charged up with sacred energy is when you view it as a vehicle of this sacred energy. Yeah. So the fourth one is um, moksha, which is liberation. And in classical Hinduism, it means release from samsara. Right. And, and, uh, and that's an aspect of Lakshmi too. Although I feel that there's a little bit of a tweaking of what that means. It's more like um, she is... Siddhi rather than moksha, meaning liber Siddhi is power, right. sacred power. Um, and it's a different kind of liberation. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to leave the world, but it means you, you move through the world with a certain kind of um, powerful impetus. So, so you're surfing the Shakti, as I like to think of it. Mm. And, okay, today was really great. Wow, let's groove on it. And tomorrow, you know, or the next day is like crash. It's awful, but you don't, you don't recede to the cave. You just like, okay, let's see what we do with this energy and ride it. It's just part of what's the deal here. Yeah. Which I think it's, that's a little, that's one of the hardest aspects of thinking about any of the tantric philosophies is that it's, you know, it's our perspective. It's our drishti. How, how are we moving through what's happening? And, and turn it around again help to serve us better. Mm. Yeah, I like a, a way you put it. It was sort of um, in the book, I feel like it, you said something about mastering sort of the qualities or the source of abundance, that it's more than, than and I feel that's sort of um, aligning with what you're saying about surfing the Shakti, is that there's this kind of mastery uh, of life, and and um, which, yeah, is very different from other forms or readings of moksha which would kind of prescribe this up and out of the world sort of trajectory so mm -hmm. i like that you make that distinction that's really that's really beautiful so so kama arta dharma and moksha mm -hmm. and most often it gets associated with arta material wealth and mm -hmm. you mention in the book that um when imbalance happens then um a lakshmi resides, Lakshmi's sister, <laughs> and they can never be in the same place together. So would you, uh, you know, because since many people I feel like don't know about these other abodes of Lakshmi, it's most often she's associated with just material wealth and, you know, chanting her to get, you know, financial boons or whatever. Do you feel like forgetting about those other abodes of Lakshmi, those other ways in which Lakshmi resides in our life could be an example of allowing that Lakshmi energy to become imbalanced towards a Lakshmi? Oh, that's a very interesting way to think about it. I, I think so. You know, um, in my workshops, I always allow some time for people to really contemplate how their lives are going in terms of the four aspects of Lakshmi. I mean, they, really, they like write it out and it's a graph and it becomes very evident. Okay, there's something missing here. What's the energy there? And we could say it, it might be a little bit of Alakshmi or a lot of Alakshmi, um, meaning poverty 
poverty, poverty consciousness, tightness. Um, you know, she has a lot of epithets. One of them is atula, meaning imbalanced. Mm. And I think that's so true with how you know we can be off balance and we try to do this, we try to do this, we run here, we run there. Um, we don't have steadfastness, dhaidiya, which is one of the aspects of Lakshmi. So this, this very interesting idea that um, if you don't pay attention to invoking Lakshmi, um, in whatever that means, whether it means ch chanting mantras or, or just being conscious of, hey, I would like Lakshmi to be around me. What does that mean? What do I have to do? You know, how do I become like her? If you don't do that, then in another way to think about Alakshmi is like atrophy. It's just like the, there's the, the dust, there's too much covering it over. Yeah. And it's in it's inertia. And there's a very interesting um, image of Alakshmi in the um, iconography where she's, first of all, she's dressed exactly opposite of Lakshmi. So Lakshmi is like a bride and Alakshmi is like a widow, which is extremely inauspicious. It's, you know, it's the symbol of we're, we might as well be dead because we're dead in this life. So no color, no, no jewelry. She's, this is how penury is shown is she's very, very skinny, not like model thin, but skinny, bony, um, bad hair. Uh, and she's, you know, she's sitting in a chariot and in, in Lakshmi's imagery, horses are part of her, her strength and her beauty and power. So Alakshmi is actually it's not a chariot. It's more like a, a cart, a, a very simple country cart. And the, and the um, extensions are there for the horses, but the horses have left. So she can't get anywhere. So being stuck, right? And so how many people say, like, I'm stuck. I, I don't know what's going on. And, and that's mm. kind of the manifestation of what that feeling is. Yeah. You know, and of course it could be much worse. It, I mean, all kinds of bad luck. But um, there's one there's one aspect of Alakshmi, which is actually comes from the, the tantric side of the goddess, and that is there's there's um, a whole category of goddesses called the Dashavaha Vidya, the, the ten wisdom goddesses, and we can talk about that more later with Kali and all. But there's one named Dhumavati, which means the smoky one. She's all kind of covered with smoke and haze. And she, in some ways, is an embodiment of Alakshmi. But what she went, and you have to kind of ascertain which Alakshmi is here. When it's Dhumavati, when it's the tantric form of Alakshmi, it often means that things are grinding to a halt because you're really not supposed to be going in the direction that you thought you were supposed to be going in mm. and your soul or your kind of spiritual blessing shows up and and puts an end to stuff that you thought was going so well like when you know you break up with a partner or whatever it's yeah. just uh wow this seems like a bad thing but what it makes you do is pause so that you get your whole you just sort of let your thought stop and you don't try to pick a new a new direction until you just stop go into the haze it's a little bit you know it's very shyvite like that yeah, yeah then you wait and see invoke Lakshmi to come back and see where your new direction can be mm. in the darkness there, there's blessing yeah you have to know how to ascertain it and and I think too many people um 
miss the boat when regular Alakshmi is there. Sometimes it just means like clean your apartment, do some fun play, you know, um, you know, clean out your computer. It's like basic stuff. It's energetic. A lot yeah. of it's energetic and physical. So let's talk about the iconography of Lakshmi a little bit. Um, and uh, since people can't, you know, most of the people that are listening to this won't see us. I mean, we could lift up your book here and, and, and look at one of these images. I guess let's just talk about this image of, of Lakshmi and j just sort of being mindful to the fact that, you know, people are listening, not seeing this. So would you just, you know, what are, uh, uh, from what I understand, you know, we see similar things in a variety of different deities in the iconography of the goddess. Um, but what is particular to Lakshmi generally? Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a good question because sometimes people, it's hard to know which one it is. Um, and probably one of the first things we can notice, she has four arms. Many of the goddesses have four arms. Mm -hmm. um, my cat is climbing up my my chest. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Got her. Thank you. Um, she has four arms. When she's together with Vishnu, she has usually has two arms. She's more like mm. human. The four arms, like many of the other goddesses, it, they have a lot of arms because they do a lot of things. You know, I don't. I only have two hands. We say we humans say but the goddesses have more, but. The two lotuses and her two back arms, she is the lotus goddess. And the lotus represents many things, but it's really core to Lakshmi. One of her names is Padma or Padmani, this lotus. Meaning that, uh, and she's seated on a lotus, and she has the, the two lotuses. The the roots of our, our life are in the mud mm. and in all the muck. And then we just have to deal with that. And then the flower itself is above the water and then um, go, goes up into the heavenly realm. So there's purity and there's, um, you know, dealing with the mud at the same time. So all of these realms are in the lotus. So when, she, when you see a, a goddess holding two lotuses, be pretty sure it's Lakshmi. Um, of course, her lower left hand ha is completely open and coins are coming from it. And as far as I know, the only goddess who has these coins dripping so, out of her hands <laughs> pouring out. So it's, it's people like, yeah, this is my girl. I wish I had that hand. I mean, <laughs> but you know, what's so cool about it too is, I mean, it, it looks so natural. We don't think about it, but you know, it's, I like to think of it. She doesn't have her hand closed and pick out one coin for you. One's for you. One's for you. One for you. I don't like you. It's like the sun it's mm. shining down. So some of the connection with Lakshmi is knowing how to stand under the shower of coins. Mm. Um, so they're, they're continuous. Um, even though she's chanchala, she's fickle, but the, the coins are continuous. And it's part of her flow of energy. And her other, her lower right hand, other deities have this too, is fear not. Don't, mm. don't worry. You know, I'm going to take care of you. Um, the coins, the coins and the lotuses are particular to her. Also, the elephants, often she has elephants lustrating her in the background. That represents fertility, um, lustration, cooling. She's a cooling goddess. She, you know, she brings um, the cool waters. And, um, and she's pretty. I mean, a lot of the goddesses are pretty, but she's really pretty. And she's smiling. And they often talk about how she's smiling sweetly. And she's got these sparkly eyes and uh, long black hair. And... Uh, and here we get to see the colors 
the colors associated with her and her ornamentation. Not all of the deities are ornamented the way she is, but part of the, the wealth and the abundance, the beauty also, there's a royal aspect to her. And so she has a royal crown. Um, she was she brought in the wealth to the kingdom. So in traditional India, the kings did these really amazing um, ceremonies to invoke Lakshmi to bring her in. They were tantric ceremonies to actually have her reside in the palace. So she has that ornamentation, lots of you know gold jewelry as well, but the crown. Um, yeah, and then she's got lotus pond around her. The, and every picture varies, but some of these main elements, you see those and you know, there she is. That's Lakshmi. Mm, beautiful. So that's beautiful. The, yes. So we're talking about the iconography of Lakshmi. And now I just want to ask you kind of a question about, and, and maybe you encounter this sometimes in your workshops as well. You know, someone who has a very kind of literalist understanding of deity who, you know, was raised in Ujjayadu, a Christian um, household where, you know, the 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 manifestations of the godhead are literal and you know and the phys and the physicalist representations are meant to be taken literally how do you how do we understand lakshmi like what is the status of the images are we meant to think of lakshmi as literally this you know woman somewhere out there cascading coins down upon us or is there is there a more esoteric way of thinking about this Oh, yeah. Wonderful question. I love it. Um, and I have to do that sometimes, depending on yeah. the audience. Um, it's very easy and it's absolutely correct to just translate this as the source energy of prosperity. And what, what do we mean by prosperity? We mean actually it's life force. Uh, it's, it's, it's the spark of life. It's what keeps things going. So, you know, in a way, that's how some people translate any, anything that's sacred, any deity. Um, but it's really at the core, it's just energy. And, uh, you know, there are, you could just do mantras to Lakshmi and never even think about Look the, at her. yeah. Yeah. And, um, all of those, it's like a, it's like a, um, a spectrum of degree. So really at her source, she's just energy. She's, and you know, another word for Lakshmi, the earliest name that she had was Shri. And Shri just means splendor and beneficence and auspiciousness and well-being. And before they even, you know, before Lakshmi was part of the pantheon, before they really had what they have now as the Hindu pantheon, back at the early, right kind of at the end of the Vedic period, um, some of the late Vedic hymns, maybe around 1800 BCE or so, give or take, around that die time, pretty early, um, the first hymns that honored Lakshmi were actually to Shri mm. and they were they were for the king to recite or to be helped to recite let's please let's bring Shri into the kingdom and let her come and when Shri is here and spreads Shri-ness spreads, spreads that sheds that energy ripples it through the kingdom becomes bountiful and it was it was only later when they said well what's what does Sri look like? Oh, what's the form? What's the physical form? Actually, that's what Lakshmi itself means, form of. It just means a manifest. Ah. So it's really technically her name is, we could say Sri Lakshmi. It's the form of auspiciousness. And then, you know, there are 
other forms. So if you back it up and take away the physical form, there's still Sri. Mm. That's what we can we can think of that splendor as uh, you know other traditions have names for that splendor or that holy light or consciousness. There's lots of ways that it plays out. Uh, so it's really not a problem. So it's yeah, and it's kind of like the because I, I feel like maybe the way one of the ways of thinking about it would be that splendor as a kind of quality is not something that's sort of man-made, but is something that's sort of in the energetic tapestry of whatever it is that's you know that that is holding us all together, and that you know that splendorous energy kind of takes manifestation in the lives of human beings or whatever but it's that but it's it's pre-human or it's like before our um uh conscious experience or something like that yeah absolutely that's beautifully said yeah the tapestry um that's exactly it, it's a beautiful image because it it, it does it is sort of behind that or beyond that it's and it's sort of the bindu it's the starting point um, before the creation kind of extended outward. Yeah. And that's what was Sri is in that too. Mm. Mm. So now we, we talked a little bit about Vedic um, Lakshmi. You started talking about Vedic Lakshmi in the form of Sri. So let's talk about the different Lakshmis then. Maybe you want to, I don't know if you want to say anything more about Vedic and then we can talk a little bit about the Puranic and the Tantric forms of Lakshmi. Um. Yeah, well, just a little bit more about the Vedic is when she did come to Earth and, you know, the king was asking, enumerating what it felt like when Lakshmi was here. Uh, that's some of the earliest um, expressions of Lakshmi as the, the cow, the mm. sacred cow and, and embodied in cattle. So uh, when people people in the West sometimes say, well, why do they have a sacred cow? What, what is What's up with that, you know? And, it really, it, it's it's really, she is embodied in the cow who brings milk and everything that exudes from the cow is is abundant. And they, they actually have um, go puja, the cow ceremony, where they honor the cows as Lakshmi and they dress them up and it's very pretty. So it goes back to Vedic early times. Um, but yeah, so the, we could talk about Puranic now, and um, that's a little bit more medieval, beginning around the fifth, sixth century or so in India, that's where we have um, the images. Okay. Lots of different personalities, um, lots of different names of Lakshmi and of Alakshmi, um, lots of the sacred narratives and uh, her concert with Vishnu. And um, because Lakshmi and Vishnu, um, especially in the Puranas and the epics also as well, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, their their place was to preserve maintain this creation um whenever the world was at the brink of disaster the gods would ask lakshmi and vishnu to come in and intercede and and maintain dharma again so they really embodied dharma um so every time vishnu in all of his in incarnations came to earth lakshmi came with him so she has various incarnations as well so sita for example People understand Sita. That's her story, but she's really Lakshmi behind that. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, like a yeah, it's like a, a persona that she's wearing for that story. Yeah. But it's Lakshmi. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's a flower. Um, uh, Radha with a whole Radha Krishna cycle of stories. 
Radha and also Rukmini. So Radha was the the, the beloved of Krishna, and Rukmini Rukmini was his wife that he was married to. She was a queen. Both of them were um, aspects of Lakshmi. So she has many different forms, and um, this is where a lot of the ceremonies, the pujas, um, developed for honoring her and worshiping her, and uh, really becoming like her. To to invite her, you have to kind of become like her as much as you can, so that there's a, a connectedness. I want to say like what we would call these days law of attraction a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that it, I, what I understand in her theology is you can get closer to Lakshmi by recognizing what's already working in your life and articulating it and saying this came from Lakshmi or if you don't want to use that word, if it came from the, the divine source of all abundance mm-hmm. and all mag- majesty and beauty and to really to articulate your life is like completely you know black there's nothing there it's nothing you know kind of at the brink of exiting this world um you're you're kind of announcing to Lakshmi that you don't really believe she exists you can't even get a sliver of of that understanding so there's um there's a kind of responsibility to show up and say like you know, I see you. Can I have more of you? And a lot of the prayers are, are, they're not so much about come here. Well, they are there, but it's like, you're already here. Expand things, you know, make yourself bigger. Mm. Give us more of what you are. And so it's subtle, but I think it's a really powerful way to be. I mean, in some of the pujas in the Lakshmi pujas, the instructions, in addition to all the technical things that the priests have to do and the pujaris and all the hymns, People have to dress in these beautiful colors. I don't think I mentioned the colors of red and gold and green, you know, that represent life force and, and splendor and the, the green earth. And to to speak sweetly and to smile sweetly and to to be in tune with what her energy is. So it doesn't, I mean, you could just show up and have your mind still agitated or have your cell phone and, you know, paying attention to what's happening out there, but to really fully imbibe her energy in the puja you want to kind of commune with her mm. and it, it can be really a really beautiful experience um more a beautiful is not even doesn't even begin to explain it really yeah. so it's 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 not just about kind of you know praying to a deity asking her to to you know give us blessings but it's it's really about embodying those qualities as well and being able to actually recognize to like look through the lens of abundance at your life and be able to see your life in this kind of mindset of of prosperity and to be able to recognize things as the hand of Lakshmi is that like part of it so that it's it's a shift in perspective as well I would say so yes and uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of work to be done psychologically and yeah. you know, other ways, um, which is not always so easy because the way, you know, life is. Um, and because she is a deity and her nature, this is like one of, I think I said this before a little bit, one of her epithets is chanchala, which means, it means fickle, it means shimmering. 
So mm -hmm. if you think about fickle, it's like, oh, I don't like fickle, but shimmering is, that's a part of her beauty. It's like sunlight on water. It's shimmering. You can't get the whole thing, but it's like kind of dazzles you. Yeah. And we even say like a scintillating woman, right? So it's, it's got that sparkly quality, which you quite, you can't quite get. And as it's, it's very true with Lakshmi. It's probably true if you think about most of the deities. If you can completely contain them and they become like solid and opaque, then that's not really the deity anymore. It's your human level of things. So there's great mystery, really. And when you pray to Lakshmi or to that source of abundance, um, the, the scintillation part is like she's also Lady Luck. And maybe you're going to get what you pray for and maybe you, you know, you get what you need, as Mick Jagger says, and maybe you don't get it right away or maybe you don't get it at all. Um, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because you're moving toward that process. But in the background of all of this is karma. And uh, we never know really how much karma is clogging up our, our good luck. But what all of the all of the texts say all the way very early on when you when you do make that effort it starts to erase a lot of your your heavy karma so you don't always know what the outcome would be um so it's you know especially also in the Puranic texts there is this idea that you know we see her from she's coming from the outside she's coming from vaikuntha the heaven with with vishnu um i and the I don't think I've finished uh, talking about the third aspect of Lakshmi. You want me to go into the tantric? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Because that, that's sort of the next thing with this, with the worship. The, one of the um, designating differences with the tantric Lakshmi, and a lot of it overlaps with Puranic, especially during the time, same time period. But many of the tantric texts then, they take the personality of Lakshmi, who is this beautiful woman, and it's all sweet and smiling, and she comes from the heavens, and they add another dimension to it. Or we could say the other dimension is there, but the tantrikas have privy to the, you know, the vault behind everything else. And what's in the, the, the deeper aspect of Lakshmi is that, um, you know, some of the texts say that identify her as Kundalini. She's the inner Shakti. She's out there. She's inside of us. We're all really all one anyway, but... Yeah. Um, where is Lakshmi? She's she's deep inside of you. Yeah. So um, when you're calling on the goddess, it's not just drawing her down mm -hmm. from the heavens, but you're churning her up. Mm. You're igniting her. You're igniting that shak inner Shakti. And so it's a more internalized process. And um, that, you know, again, the, the esoteric... Um, traditions require more work with a spiritual teacher who can help navigate that shakti because it is really powerful and it can sort of fry you if you're not doing it right or having it done right or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, and, and the tricky thing about Tantra and that deep energy, it is holistic energy. So that's where we get back to the Dasha Mahavidya, the, the 10 wisdom goddesses. That's where um, Lakshmi can turn into Kali and they're part of the same thing. They're really just part of that divine energy where, you know, women will recognize this. We recognize this in ourselves and the men around us sometimes begrudgingly have to recognize 
you were Lakshmi this morning. Why are you Kali tonight? You know, what's what's up with this fierce mood, which is, you know, that's just a hu human manifestation. But um, the goddess, in her largest sense, is all all aspects of, of the cosmos and all aspects of um, human experience. So that the dark, ferocious side of Lakshmi, um, or we could say of Mahalakshmi, is... Um, it's more than two sides of a coin. It's really, it's a, I don't even think of it as like a Janus faced coin. It's more like a sphere yeah. and all, you know, kind of one. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a whole, it, it's a deeper experience of her personality. Mm. Mm. Would you be willing to share a, a, like a myth of Lakshmi? I'm sure you know a few of them. Um, yeah, actually, one of my favorite stories of Lakshmi is not so well known, and it, and it's a little sh it's a little shorter too, so it's a little easier to tell the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, none of them are short. They all have like a backstory. Um, but th this comes from Orissa, which is in eastern India, um, and it, it has to do with how you know we were I was talking about how Lakshmi has to do with royalty. So there's this sort of backdrop of caste which is, you know, an ancient Indian stratification system. And uh, in this story, it's the time of Diwali, which we're coming up on now, where we're at the Festival of Lights. And um, Lakshmi goes out, to, so she's married to Vishnu, or Narayana, as he is in the story. And his brother is, one of his brothers is there. So they're all in, the, in their celestial abode. And it's Diwali, so Lakshmi goes out and she's flying around all the housetops to see, like, who put lamps there. So she would follow the lamps to go give her blessings. And part of what happens, it's, it's always an exchange. So the lamps attract her, and then people have left food out for her. So she imbibes the essence of the food, and then in exchange she leaves her blessings. So she is flying around an encampment of... Um, Chandalas, which is a very low caste um, workers of leather and dung and things like that. And, and it's very impure caste. And they put out with, with all of their heart, they made food, they invited her. And so she ate the food and she gave them blessings. And she went back home and, and Narayan was at the door and he said, you ate the food from those impure people, which is a whole breach of caste etiquette. And in that story, the gods are observing the etiquette. And Lakshmi says, um, their devotion is stronger than the caste um, regulations. So it's it really, it turns caste on its head. And the goddess is anyway, but she really, because most people think of her as elitist, or many people think of her as elitist in some of the stories, and uh, she's like, oh, you know, I'm not buying that story anymore. The devotion of the heart is what's important to me. So Vishnu still maintains, you know, his stance. So they have a big fight, and she comes. <laughs> she, I love how they have a fight. She comes home, and so he goes out with his. So she comes into the house, and he says, "Well, you polluted the house." So she's all right. If you don't like that, then you can leave. <laughs> him out and he and his brother say you know um you know lakshmi sent us out she wouldn't feed us we didn't want to eat from her anyway because she's polluted 
So they go around to all the different deities and say, can we have something to eat here? Because, you know, you guys are on our side. You will maintain the caste consciousness. And one by one, people shut their doors and they say, we're not messing with Lakshmi because she's actually stronger than all of you. So it gets back to this, like she's really the Mahadevi, the great, the great goddess. She's better than Vishnu. She's better than the caste system. And it really comes down to uh, what's in the heart. Mm. And so she's the winner of the story there. And I love that story because it really extends her, her story out to everybody. Out, out of India, out of, I mean, it, and it, it, it sort of shrinks it back to the core essence of Sri. And like the sun, it just shine, shines on everybody. Um, and don't, don't play favorites with that. If people are making offerings, you feed them, you give them your blessings. Yeah, well, and it's also, it's beautiful because it says that, you know, at the level of devotion, everyone is equal. And yeah. that's sort of a beautiful message. So, you know, just on that kind of, I guess, jo- social justice angle, um, you know, one thing that I was just thinking about when I was reading your book was how, you know, um, Lakshmi is often associated with sort of domestic life and Lakshmi is, you know, women are an expression of Lakshmi. So what, how would you respond to someone who might see Lakshmi in some way as kind of you know, in this kind of post-woman's liberation world, it she's sort of inviting a very conservative idea of womanhood. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I have a section in the book on that. I think it's page 37. It comes up all the time. <laughs> I love that you know exactly the page. I just have to <laughs> confirm that. Hold on. <laughs> I, I, I think it is. But check, yes, check. it is. Yep, yep, there it is. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Well, I actually gave a, a workshop um, a few years ago in Brooklyn at a yoga studio called Lakshmi and the New York Woman. Mm. And I focused on that. And the whole first half of the workshop, everybody was mad at me for talking about that. But we, tur- we turned it around because what I did was I focused on that aspect of uh, Lakshmi, like many of the goddesses, but especially with her, her hymns extol her as you're an expression of all women. And there's one part, one aspect of her is um, Grihya Lakshmi, domestic Lakshmi. It's Lakshmi of the home, who's actually, when you understand it, she's a kind of um, microcosmic image of Rajya Lakshmi, the Lakshmi of the royal palace, which is the home of the whole kingdom, which has a lot of splendor, Aishwarya, royal splendor. So right away, the image is that the home, the domestic, the domicile is actually a mini kingdom and it's not a place of drudgery. So, you know, we have to kind of back up to our understanding of what, what it means to, to do housework. And, um, I actually, I liked what's, I was quoted in my book. Um, there was a Vodun priestess who talks about that too, how you can turn housework into like ritual if you if you do it with intention so the point here with lakshmi is yes it can it can be used abusively like okay you're lakshmi you have to stay here and do the dishes but it's really um it it does it's really not supposed to be that what i really the way i really understand the text is that if a woman truly identifies herself as connected with a goddess you know in her heart her whole being and even in a tantric way, her, her whole essence as a female, um, wherever she goes, she exudes energy. 
So wherever she lives, she's living in the home, um, and she has to maintain her energy and understand that she's almost like radioactive. Like what she does magnifies outward. So when she's cooking, she's just not, you know, making TV dinners. If she's, it doesn't even matter what she makes. If she thinks of her energy as, um, you know, I'm the goddess. I am giving you this food that's nourishing you. It's like magical potion food. It's got Shakti in it. Here, my loved ones partake of this Shakti. And let's have our home be a beautiful repository and sanctuary so that when we go out in the world, whether it's the husband or the partner or the kids or herself, even doesn't mean they can't go outside, but she's the command central. It's just like she's in charge of it, uh, which I think it can actually be more empowering to have that kind of a paradigm. I, I think the paradigm is it's really, you know, it's icky if we think about it as like the June Cleaver 1950s and June. She was actually she she wasn't it wasn't such a horrible existence but you know what i mean that awful kind of 50s suburban cookie cutter where the wife was like bored to death but the husband came home from his domain outside and then he came in and he was bossing her around too and she didn't really have a voice so in this paradigm what happens in the home and with the family she's she has the voice in that lakshmi paradigm and of course it's you know it's a it's a camaraderie but um, if she's Shakti, she she does have that power. So, um, you know, I think the larger sense of it is if, if there's if there's a problem in the home, it's a little bit like some of the feng shui traditions. Like they don't really focus on the women, but what's happening in the physical house? Is it is there calm? Is there peace? Or is it a mess? Or are people fighting? They talk about like the story of one of the stories of Alakshmi is that um, she, Alakshmi loves the sound of quarreling. Mm. So if there's quarreling or if they have details of if people abuse their children or if they, my favorite one is if, if the adults are eating in front of the children and don't feed the children. I don't know where that came from, but it's scary to think that they'd have to make that example. So it yeah. means like Lakshmi is like, can't stand that. She leaves and Alakshmi comes in. So, you know, at the very least, all it's asking women to do is to understand that they have whatever they're doing, it's met, they have power in what they're doing. So um, instead of complaining that, the you know, my husband doesn't do this or that or, or whatever, that's a, that's a kind of a separate issue. It's more about claiming your energy as, as the matriarch of your own home. And that's a paradigm that, that we don't have. And a lot of us, you know, live alone. It's a whole different kind of thing. But it's still, it's your palace. That, that's all they want. That's all it means. And yeah. it's, it's hard to, to grok that in our culture, I think. Yeah, no, I appreciate what you're saying. So now I want to ask, as we sort of move towards our last um, uh, couple of topics, you, your book is called Invoking Lakshmi, the Goddess of Wealth in Song and Ceremony. And, and so a lot of the book is about the songs and the hymns of Lakshmi. So I would love to just hear about what is the relationship between Lakshmi and sound or song. Okay, yeah. So we, there are mantras in here. There were some of her core mantras. Um, there's also a whole text of a puja. Uh, yeah. I translated some of the words to a puja. So, you know, you could do a ceremony too. But sound, um, 
there are mantras to invoke her and starting with bija mantras which are those core seed mantras mm -hmm. that um you know om, one of them is om shreem hreem om is the cosmic bija mantra of the universe shreem is the mantra of shri actually yeah. of splendor so it's the power on the resonance of splendor and hreem is the energy of containment or manifestation in this realm. So Om Shreem Hreem, Om, let's generate splendor and then let's direct it, let's laser mm -hmm. what we want, you know. So it's a really powerful mantra, Om Shreem Hreem. So that's a core mantra. Um, there are longer mantras and what's interesting with, um, and she actually, there's a Lakshmi Gayatri mantra as well. Some of these are on my CDs, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But um, in the tantric section, I love about the mantras here, in the tantric section of the hymns, most of them begin with um, a long series of bija mantras for Lakshmi and also for her larger aspect as she's connected with Kali and Saraswati and other, other goddesses. Um, and instructions for um, doing what's called nyasa, it's placing the mantras on the body. And so they would say, so there's a whole kind of ritual instruction that says, you know, Om, and then you pronounce it, let me place this mantra on this part of the body and this and your hands and all that. And when you're placing it on, you're actually in a tantric way, you're, you're placing it from the outside, but you're also activating it from the inside, like, you know, lighting it up. And so you're, in addition to whatever else you're doing, you're creating a, a mantric body. Like a like like a coat of mail, so you're you're actually and it facilitates stepping into that role of Lakshmi, you know. So, um, you know you're powerful and you're you're surrounded by other aspects of, of the goddesses and um, and I would imagine if if somebody's still having trouble like with a domestic Lakshmi and they do that, you're gonna have a different understanding of who they are. So, the mantras. Um, they can be used singularly, like any of those hymns could be a, a sadhana for anybody for yeah. in, independently for a long time. Mm. So when I, I, I'm glad that you brought up nyasa because I think it's such a beautiful practice and and no one teaches it really. I feel like it's you don't go to a yoga class. Nobody's doing nyasa, <laughs> um, although I feel like everyone should be. Is it so? You you talk about it in the book as a kind. Um, as sort of like putting on the armor of the energy of Lakshmi, but is there also a way in which you're sort of divinizing the body? It's like you're taking on the qual. It's not not just cloaking yourself, but actually sort of from within, like um, um, lighting up, as you say, the the qualities of Lakshmi. Is it sort of both and sort of thing? Yeah, that? I would say so. Yeah, it's like um, what the Buddhists call a diamond body. Mm -hmm. It's along the lines of that. So you're really, you're really shifting the energy. You're really kind of weaving a different kind of energy. And I, and uh, it's interesting that you said, you know, they don't do that in yoga classes. And and I would say maybe it's okay that they don't. <laughs> and the reason is because, you know. I mean, unless it's a, an extraordinary yoga teacher and the students themselves have some level of initiation. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I, I did it once. I was teaching a course uh, somewhere in New York, and it was on Lakshmi, and we got into the esoteric things. And I did one little meditation 
from the book where we, we did, we created the mantle of Lakshmi energy and mostly everybody was like, wow, it's so powerful. And I've got emails from them afterwards. It's so great, et cetera, et cetera. And one person really had a hard time with it. And then she said, well, I've been working with some other teacher in this other lineage and we're creating mantles of mantles of energy in that sense. And so the Lakshmi energy wasn't getting through. Mm. And it's like, okay, so in New York, like we have all these things that we're doing and we really forget how powerful they are. So I would say, you know, yeah, they can be transmitted, um, but it, it's like you have to decide this is what I'm doing and I'm not going to do other things. Right. It has to be couched within like a larger sod and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay, so let's now move into, I want to talk about how all of this talk about Lakshmi, which has been such an interesting conversation, and I know lots of people who, you know, are going to gain a lot from this and have learned a lot already, I'm sure. Um, so how does this translate to the work that you do with intuitive, um, it, the intuitive work that you do? Because as we were mentioning at the beginning, you are, you're, you know, an intuitive consultant and instructor of intuitive development. So I would just love to hear a little bit how Lakshmi intersects with that work. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, and I do work as an intuitive consultant um, when I'm not in my university setting. I actually do the work on separate days. So I have to keep the other sides of my brain operating. Yeah. <laughs> Academic and intuitive are very different sides. Yeah. I, do, I, I really have to like keep it straight. And it keeps me sane if I do that. Um, so when I, when I, what I love about this, when I, one of the things that I think is a little bit of my specialty in intuitive development and in, in intuitive readings, everybody has a niche, some people do anyway, is that when I tune into Lakshmi on all her levels from, you know, the S, the core essence all the way to the deity herself, it really, it, it, it opens into, I would say like a portal of all the deities anyway. And I've, I, I'm conversant with many deities in many different world traditions. And so when you do intuitive work, when you're doing a reading, um, part of how the information comes to the reader, um, it's, it's almost like there's a, there's a grid or a, like a matrix of, of energy and the, and whether they're spirits or ancestors, or it's just energy with containing information, it has to find something to connect to. So if you're connected to the, you know, we could say like the Davic plane where the devas live, then if somebody kind of wants to come into that door, they will. And people, and, but especially because I, I do a lot of work with Lakshmi, um, if Lakshmi is around people, she will come in. Um, but also I, I feel that she, because I'm, I'm connected to that portal, I'm not sure portal is the right word, but that energy, um, and I always have the intention, the intention is always, let me help this person. Let me like be a conduit of whatever this person needs so that they can get help. Um, so many times people come to me, they're Americans, I don't know what their background is. And then I start seeing deities from all these different, you know, Maoris from New Zealand and all these different. And... Um, you know, I teach tribal religions too at, at Hunter, so I'm aware of all these deities. And and the deities will show up and they'll say, like, I I'm in part of the lineage of this person's family and you know, from like two hundred years ago. And then that becomes their conduit of healing and guidance. And so 
being open to a, a deity like Lakshmi, I think, um, facilitates that kind of um, way that I can enter into that space and assist people. Uh, and it's always mind-blowing when that happens. I mean, we're, we laugh, we cry, we're like, oh, you know, and, and I, I can't even say where it comes from. And uh, I've had people that I've worked with, uh, this happened recently somewhere, I was doing um, kind of a group um, spirit message circle here in Manhattan. I hadn't done it in, in quite a while. And there were, and I hadn't done it in seven years, actually, with that particular group. And there was a woman there from China. And she, I, I was the only one who got a message from her. And it involved like a shamanic Taiwanese deity or something. And she reminded me, she said, when you used to come to these circles, that ancestor of mine could only speak through you. And it's been seven years. And I haven't heard from him. And now I'm with you. And he came through because he knows he can talk through, not, he wasn't channeling, but he could communicate through you. And I really feel deep down that it came through. It's through this connection with her and through the mantras too, as I was working on the book. And a lot of that time I was working in the ashram and meditating. I mean, I had a really sometimes extraordinary experience of just the Sanskrit itself, the mantras themselves. Um, I didn't even know what it was, but I could feel like the power in it. So some of some of this discovery is, you know, I'm just learning as I go, but yeah. I trust it. So is this faculty, you know, this kind of intuitive access that you have, is this something that has been cultivated over time that has sort of emerged for you over the years of your practice? Or is it something that you felt from a young age? Um, it was always there a little bit from a young age, but... Um, you know, everybody's really intuitive on some level. I mean, it's part of sure. how it works. But um, I, yeah, I did. I, I had a, a little bit more experience of it than other people. But when I started meditating, it started to open up. And I realized actually in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras in the third book, where he talks about the the yogic powers and yeah. all, like one of them, he has a lot in there about intuition opens up as a result of doing um, yoga and meditation. So, and actually in some of my workshops in the yoga studios, I, I start, that's the starting point. So like, let's look at our intuition, not just as hit or miss, but we develop it. So I actually studied it. There are, you know, the way I teach it, there are courses you can learn to develop it incrementally. Um, I took a, I think it was about two years off and on, two years study where I got certified. And there's actually... Um, you know, incremental exercises that you can do to develop it and uh, overlaid with um, an ethical basis that is modeled on the American Psychological Association in terms of how you deal, you know, sort of the dharma of having clients and, um, you know, the fiduciary relationship with your clients and, um, and, and how, to, how, to, how to run a session and how to keep yourself uh, psychically clean and, you know, not open to all kinds of stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of my work is uh, a lot of, I, you know, a lot of my clients are just word of mouth actually, or they hear about me or they, they take my class and they, they meet, you know, at least once in some context so that it's, I don't, you know, cast a wide net of anybody wants to show up because, you know, I could, but I, right now I just, choose to, to be and I love reading in the with within the yoga community because they're already 
kind of in, in the same orbit and they're, they're open to it. And so it's really a session is not, it's like when you worship Lakshmi, it's not a, just one person tells the other, but it's, you know, I'll start and then the person will feel it. They're like, yeah, I get it. And they're, they're, they're kind of dancing with me through it. It's really nice. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, I, I'm really on board with this kind of cultivation of the intuitive faculties. And it's interesting that you mentioned the cities because I, um, interviewed, um, oh gosh, Dean Radin, who's doing scientific research on like essentially the cities. He wrote a book called Supernormal, which is a sort of funny looking book. But I mean, he has done really fascinating work, like showing how, you know, well, this has not been news for, I mean, this has been news for quite some time, but of course we still have this sort of scientific orthodoxy that doesn't believe it's real and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, so anyway, he was talking about, you know, this sort of, in, in like uh, the way in which this science is non-controversial if you really look at it. Um, and, um, but one thing that I just have a question about for you, I guess is sort of in my, in my own life personally, you know, I always struggle with whether or not something is my intuition or if it's like fed by my own, you know, negative samskaras or my, my kind of like the traumas of my life. Like, is that coming from my own, the predispositions that are informed by my own, like, you know, upbringing, or is it actually coming from this kind of um, underlying intuition? Like what, what is the, how do you discern between those two, uh, you know, risings up, I guess? Yeah. The, so the fear or the desire getting in the way. Of, yeah. Of, yeah. And that's, th that's the zillion dollar question. And that's, that's really what makes all doing intuitive readings. It, it's a real art. Um, there, there are ways that we can cultivate really paying attention to signals, even in the physical body and in the emotional body of whether we're on the right track, whether like things sort of click when it's correct. Uh, the closer you are to the question, the harder it is. So it's really hard. Um, you know, you can do a lot with your own intuition on sort of regular stuff and you have a gut feeling about things, but sometimes you know, large issues that you're, you know, you're smoldering, they're smoldering for a long time. It's better to get outside advice. And then if the reader says something rather than if it feels like it's clicking yes or no, if they articulate it from the outside, it helps because our, our power of fear and desire is so strong. Yeah. So, you know, you, and this is why, um, you know, I'm, and I'm not saying everybody should run to a reader every five seconds. I mean, that I'm really not saying that. In fact, I, I don't, I think people should, you know, if at all, maybe once a year, twice a year, a little bit more if they're having a problem. But with myself, even if I, if I'm really close to an issue and I still can't get something and I know I'm aware my emotions are getting in the way, then I'll have a reading with somebody else. And you can really, you know, despite what I said about the being within the same community with people, it's better if you don't know too much about the person's personal, you don't know them too well. Right, right. Because you're not involved with, you're not attached to, or, you know, what what the outcome is. You're just getting right in there underneath those levels. So it's really, a, it's a continuous art, if, even when you're working with your own intuition. But there are things that you can do. I give people little exercises to pay attention to what's happening with your body and everybody's body transmits their intuitive impulses a little bit differently. So first thing is you have to learn how's your body talk to you. 
Yeah. And then, you know, you go to the grocery store and you say, okay, like what is this, is this going to work for me? Is this going to break? It's like little things. And then you build up, but it's, it's a real question and it never really goes away. You always have to kind of keep working at it. All right. Like going to the gym. You can't just go. Once. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, and yeah, I mean, it's, and that was one thing that um, was interesting about what Dean said was that, you know, it's like, these aren't, and you said this as well, actually, like these are not, these actually aren't extraordinary faculties. They're just like, you know, it's a, it's like a certain part of ourselves that's been sitting in a wheelchair for a couple hundred years without exercising these faculties. And if we had the, if we had the kind of avenues that were, you know, mainstream enough in society where people would be, would be exercising these, these abilities, then it would be a lot more widespread and a lot less sort of like, you know, seemingly, you know, hippy dippy or new agey. <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, that's absolutely, that's absolutely right. I, I love hearing about that book. I want to check out that book. Yeah, yeah, check it out. Yeah, it gets a little bit, it gets a little bit um, science-y, but it's very good. It's, you know, it's sort mm -hmm. of inspiring and gives a lot of, uh, there's a lot of meaty stuff in there. All right, so let's, let's um, wrap things up now, Constantina. This has been such a nice chat. I'm just wondering if you want to share a little bit about what's happening coming up for you. You have any workshops or retreats or where people can find you, websites, that kind of stuff? Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Um, okay, so my website is ConstantinaRhodes.com. I have all, all my stuff is going on in there. My, my book, of course, and then my Shiva book. I have three CDs mm -hmm. of meditations. These This is uh, Meditations on Lakshmi. Attracting Abundance, yep. Abundance, thank you. The second one, can you see that? Mm -hmm. is, uh, what is that one called? The inner, the... The Four Paths of Abundance. Okay, great. This is Lakshmi Meditations, Volume 2. Both of these have beautiful orchestration, rain sticks and all kinds of meditation things. Also some mantras in there. There's Brahmins chanting in one of them. Um, real, real, very, very nice guided meditations. The third one is a double album, um, Experience Your Intuition. These are guided. Um, there's a chakra cleanse meditation in here. There are different um, practices you can do, so I walk you through that. Again, beautiful orchestration. Um, they're also, if you go to my website, it will take you to a link where you can stream them now because I know this is already dinosaur technology. Um, <laughs> and, and some of the tracks are on Spotify, I hear. Somebody tells me they find them. So, But they're also on iTunes and um, Amazon. Um, I have some workshops coming up. I have on for Diwali. I have a Lakshmi Diwali workshop. I'm giving that um, on October 18th. It's a two-hour workshop. We're going to learn mantras. We're going to delve into her energy. We're going to manifest her. And um, one lucky person, we're going to have a Lady Luck, Lady Luck Lakshmi drawing one person will receive a free uh, a ticket for a free reading with me a free full-length reading whenever they want um so that's coming up the details are on my website it's going to be on 27th street i think in manhattan also this coming summer 2018 i'm very excited i was invited to participate in a tantra what is it called tantra immersion workshop the path of radical affirmation at Kripalu, oh, um, yeah, June 20, 2018, with um, Todd Norian and a few other um, scholars and yogis, and that's uh, four days in June 2018. And uh, this fall, I'll be teaching a six-week course, um, six evenings at the New York Open Center on developing your intuition. It's always a lot of fun. 
Um, you get to learn yourself how to do it. You read for other people. I throw you into the pool and everybody, everybody gets it. It's a lot of fun. Beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and this may sound weird, but it's not, I'm giving, um, uh, it was in October. I forget the date. I should know next week at the New York public library. Um, they have a series, uh, the, the Science and Business Library, they have a series on financial planning. Mm. They have all these like Wall Street experts who talk that language. I don't know how to speak that language, but I'm giving a workshop free on the spirituality of financial planning. So it's based on how Lakshmi can energize you in dealing with your finances. That's excellent. Um, yeah. That's so excellent. I need to take that. I'm going to need to come to that workshop. <laughs> well, I can say, I, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be trippy and it's different than anything they've had. And it's free. That's so, so great. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's all posted on uh, my website. There's a section on events and also my readings. If you're, if anybody's interested in a reading, I have information there, but feel free to um, contact me. I'll tell you more about what goes on and how we do it. And, it, a lot is through, you come to my apartment in Manhattan, or we do a lot of over the phone and Skype. I do people all over the world. It's great. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Constantine. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much.